Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Good morning. Um, this is actually going to be pretty shocking. I'm just going to start with shock. I, I figured one of the best ways to get over my nerves is, and I'm sorry for those of you, that the ladies that might be wearing heels, but literally, we're going to do something very anti-Western church. There's people like at Miss Shirley's, and they're eating pancakes right now. We're going to go up and down West Street. I've got Seamus ready to go mobile, and we're going like, to tell people the good news. I'm, I'm, going to tell people the good news. I'm going to go out. And, like, everybody's laughing. Like, Luke's going to come up, and he'll give you instructions. And I'm going to go out first, and then we're going to, like, go tell people about the good news of Jesus. Everybody's, like, unsure. It's going to work out. I promise you. Okay? <laughs> I promise. So I'm going to go first, and I'm, I'm joking. I didn't hold it too long. Everybody's like, oh, my. Some people were, like, they were looking like my Westie. They were like, you know, everybody's like, I'm not, like, some people are going to stay. And that's, <laughs> um, that's okay, right? But the, the, the reason that I wanted to um, sort of start with that is because I want to challenge us as we read the scriptures And I want to really, like, you you need to look at the scriptures through two Ds. And one is discipleship. And, like, realize, like, we look at discipleship and we read the disciples. And I think we've been conditioned in our, in, like, in modern culture here to sort of sit on the sidelines. And in Sunday school, we learn about disciples. And it's like they're Avengers. It's like Peter, dun, 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 dun. And he's like, and it's like James. And, like, that's not how it is. They were fishermen, tax collectors, right? We are disciples, like he's calling us to discipleship. And the other word that I really want us to read scripture and hear today's passage through is, is another D, and it's darkness. Like, right, the world, we have access to unlimited light, but this world is shrouded in darkness. And we, like, we get rolled as Christians when we don't understand that, that Satan is the god of this world and he's the prince of the power of the air. And so I just want to set our hearts as we hear these scriptures to understand those two things discipleship and darkness. Last week, David talked about the narrow door, and he used the scripture, he used the scripture from Revelations 3.8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I love that scripture from Revelation. David called his sermon, You're Invited, and I was like, you jerk, because the title of my sermon is The Invitation. <laughs> and... Um, but it kind of makes sense, right? Da- David talked about a door, and, and like, that's, you're invited. Like, the door is sitting right there. But, like, the invitation is, like, it's to a dinner feast, a wedding feast. And, and so that's where we, we show up today. We're here at this wedding feast in Luke chapter 14. And I want to heighten today our, our collective sense of urgency that entering into this feast is vital and accepting the invitation is vital From verse 1 in Luke chapter 14, it says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, 
just erase me from this sermon. And Lord, would your words burst through the spirit of Christ is in this room right now, hovers over each one of us, and it's calling us to discipleship. Lord Jesus, would you come down and would you just, the only way that Annapolis gets gospel, gospel transformation is if we are transformed into disciples. Blessed are the hands and feet that carry the good news. And Lord, would you empower us to do that in part from hearing the words today? So going back to verse 2, one might ask, what is dropsy, right? Dropsy is swelling, and it's swelling of the legs. And a lot of times you'll have swelling around the heart, and you have like even fluid around the heart. You can, it, it could have been edema. This guy could have been close to a heart attack. He's probably in bad shape. And the Pharisees know it, and they see it. Like his legs were probably swollen. And so three things in these six verses, actually there's like six things from these six verses that strike me, but there's three things I want to draw out. One, he had this visible disease, right? Jesus, of course, knew the man would be there, and he knew that his disease would be apparent. So two, verse four, it struck me like a ton of bricks. When Jesus asked them about the lawfulness, and, and pay attention to the word, word lawfulness here, he asked them about the lawfulness of healing on the Sabbath, they remained silent, and he, and he had them dead to rights at that moment when they remained silent amidst this visible condition. If the silence wasn't enough, right, I, I believe Jesus was issuing the final verdict on cold hearts when he says, which of you, if they have a son or an ox? And so he's using this spectrum of, of a son to, to like an, uh, this brooding animal to an ox. He, he's saying, as long as it's yours, you, you guys care, right? It can be an ox. But you see this human being, this man created in my image, and you guys don't care. You remain silent when I ask you if he should be healed. They are without love, which is the law that Jesus came and died to bring. It's the royal law of the new covenant, and it was paid for in blood, and he's got them. He knows he's going to die, and he's got them, right? He knows that, that they don't have the royal law in their hearts. And Jesus challenges their lovelessness and their lawlessness, and his words are doing double duty. Of course, he's talking about the Jewish law, like of healing on the Sabbath, and he's talking about this royal law that he came to bring. This opening, this whole chapter is talking to us all, right? It's so easy to point fingers at the Pharisees, but what if I told you that just a few miles away in Woodside, there's a girl, and she's sleeping on a black moldy mattress, and she hasn't been to school in a year. And what if I told you that her little brother walks around in secondhand smoke, If I told you that, and then I said, hey, you have to rush home. Your dog or your cat needs a surgery, and it's going to cost $7,000. To which duty would your heart leave? Jesus is challenging us all, as he does through all scripture. It's not just the Pharisees. And if we read passively, like we're going to miss our sin in this and then our promise and our invitation here. And this morning, uh, I'm not bringing condemnation. Lord knows that I have like these giant planks in my own eye that I'm, I'm trying to pull out every day. Um, but I do want to do a deep heart check this morning. Now, in your mind, I want you to see two things. I want you to see an outline of a body here with like, you, you know, when you're a kid and you have, you get like, you're at Denny's and you get like this body and you get to draw faces on it. And, and um, I want you to see just an outline of this body. And now, because you didn't have to pour out in the streets, I do, I will have an interactive portion of it. I need you all to close your eyes. And, like, I'll call out names if you don't know. Um, so close your eyes. And I need everyone to see a strong glass box, like a square, a cube, and it's, it's like bulletproof glass, really thick and powerful glass. 
And I want you to imagine inside of that box something material that you want. It can be cookware, furniture, a car, a watch, anything material that you want. And then on the, side of, the other side of that box, I want you to place inside of it something noble and material that you want. So it could be like a good tuition for your child as they go to college, right? It could be you want to send your parents away to a vacation to their, their ancestral homeland and send them on this big vacation. That's a good and noble thing. Um, it, could even, it could be money uh, to, to get your kid like a, a surgery. It could be anything material and good. And now I want you to open your eyes. Hold those images in your mind, okay? We're, we're just going to hold those images, the, the, the glass box in that body form, and, and we'll use them throughout this sermon. But first, let's continue on in verse 7. Chapter 14, verse 7. Now he told a parable of those who were invited, and when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." So what is Jesus saying here? I think if we go to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40, it gives us some clues. This is the passage where Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment, but this, this always blows my mind that the second is like the first, that Jesus would even like, put it in that zone of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He says you should love your neighbor as yourself, and he puts that right next to loving him, and that always blows my mind. And so I want you to remember the box in your mind and at the risk of it seeming gimmicky, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes again, but open the door to that box now and imagine a hammer. This, this is when you should probably should pull up the Avengers thing like Thor's, like a, a, a nice thick hammer. And I want you to just smash the material thing that you want in that box and like give it up, just smash it, destroy it, shatter it. This sermon is not at all about a guilt trip, right? The early church is filled with Christ's spirit. They called themselves disciples. And it wasn't until Acts 11 that we see these disciples called Christians. And these disciples weren't, were, were told, uh, to those who love much, give to those who have little. So obviously, you may be called to give up everything. It's a spectrum. Or you may be called to, to grow wealth and then give it, just keep giving it away. It's, it's a personal walk with everyone. And so I don't want to take material things and, and make it wrap it up all in that, like... We all have needs and we all have wants, right? But, but we have to take those images, we have to take the things we want and we have to hold them really loosely. We have to be willing to shatter them and, and use our resources for whatever the Lord calls us to use them for. Now, I mentioned the early church were called disciples, and so I'm up here vying that downtown Hope would be called disciples. I don't think we're going anywhere in terms of transformation, transforming the cities unless we see ourselves as disciples. 
And the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for disciples is actually Talmud. And, and I got this, Jew, this Bible. I was running one day in this, like, this, this magical, this, this guy who, who's, he's Jewish, but he loves Jesus. He's this physicist. And, he, and he ends up, we end up starting a relationship, and he gives me this, this Jewish New Testament. And I see this word in it, and it's called Talmud. And it absolutely blows my mind. Like I'd grown up, like I said earlier in this sermon, I said like we grew up in Sunday school hearing about Peter and James, and we like nothing's wrong with that. But the the word Talmud uh, means not only someone who who followed in the master's footsteps and who knew the words of the master, like kind of walked with him. It, it, It actually means someone who is willing to walk in the very path of the master, his do everything he did. And so that, that should put light on the spectrum of things the Lord might call us to, but also, I mean, imagine the disciples at Calvary, they're like, uh-oh, right? So like, let, let, let's understand the depth of the word discipleship. And I, and I want you to, to carry that it back into the scripture as we go back to chapter 14, verse 10, where he said again, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He is talking about an eternal heavenly reward here, and, and that's worth shattering whatever is in that box for you, right? It's worth anything. But that's eternity, you ask, right? Like, what about, what about this side of heaven? Why is humbling yourself and playing your part so important, right? Um, and so one of the things that reoriented, reoriented and opened up, like the whole of the scriptures for me, was Acts 17. It's like a tentpole verse, and it helps me understand more of this, not only the scriptures, but in life, right? You may have suffered loss or achieved gain, and people will say, like, hey, it's okay, everything happens for a reason. It's a little bit more cosmically deep than that. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord because we are playing part in a grand orchestra, this dance to bring many sons and daughters back to glory, back to their creator, out of the hands of an enemy who blinds so many, and he's blinding so many today. In Acts 17, Paul puts it like this. In verse 26, he says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. Some, some passages use grope their way toward, and, and I love that they should not feel but grope. It's just this desperation, and God puts everyone in the time and the bounds of ha- habitation so that no one shall have an, an excuse. You're here in 2021 because this is your best chance to go find Jesus, and the people over in Newtown, they're there, and they're here in this, in this era because it is their best time to find Jesus. And so he is calling you, and I to that feast, and that was, uh, this feast was set in motion many ages ago, and we're here today, and we have this part to play. Now, what I'm about to say to you, I don't take lightly. There's a saying that whenever you point a finger at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you. I really love that saying, and so I want you to know that when I exhort and I press, and I'm going to exhort, and I'm going to keep pressing, know that I'm talking to myself included like every day. Two weeks before, David talked about the narrow gate, and Isaac talked about how Jesus brings us freedom and true Sabbath rest. And Isaac told us about a Muslim man with HIV, and that man accepted Christ in a miraculous way. And all of a sudden, in his first ever church service, he begins to vomit, and it turned out he's a witch doctor who had accepted Christ, and so the demons had to flee. And Isaac is with us for a time, 
he's planning a church down there, Creek Fellowship, um, where I pray discipleship abounds, and he's with us here, though. College Creek. What did I say? I don't even know. Whatever. Um, (laughs) College Creek. So he's like, nice plug. (laughs) And so... I don't see any signs on the wall saying no touching anymore. And so you, he'll probably like put his arms out and you can touch him. He's real. He's seen these things, right? And I bring all this up and I, and I take a, a pause from the scriptures here because so, so often we just read through the scriptures. But like he went there and he talked about the supernatural in modern times and it emboldened, emboldened me to, to go somewhere today and to, and to share something that I've never shared with more than like three people at a time. And since we're just kicking the lid off there, uh, like kicking the lid off like that at Downtown Hope, we're like, we're just going for it and we're going to start talking about the supernatural. Um, one of the reasons I believe that the enemy, uh, that we're so asleep to the supernatural is that um, we have so much comfort in America, right? Narrow is the gate because like, we have a ton here. It's like if you're in the bottom 3%, like frankly, if you're over at Newtown, you're probably still in the top 10% of wealth in the world. There are people in destitution all around the world, so America's tough. For those who don't have uh, anything, like below th- many of them below the equator, or in Africa, or in China, North Korea, the proclivity is to cry out, Father, like every day in desperation. And in that, like sometimes the Father will fill you, and that's all you have. And so the enemy doesn't, he knows you're not distracted. And so the enemy, I believe, doesn't show up as much here in the United States. It's really, really tough to get in t- contact with that and to see that which strengthens faith. Add to, that, add to that the fact that some of these cultures still have witch doctors and they have multitude of lowercase gods and you have this sort of spiritual powder keg in these cultures. But we, we don't see that here. We suffer from a sort of Christian hedonism which does a great job at keeping us asleep at some of the things happening in the spiritual realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against spiritual darkness in the heavenly places and, and like it's so easy for us not to believe that because we, we're in material exile. As Acts 17 says, though, this is our part to play. So it's not something to feel guilty over. Like, you're here because God set you here. And, and guilt will sit you in your seat and just go, like, I don't know how to, I can't address, like, I don't have enough to, like, change the world. And, and you're right, alone, you, you don't. So it's not something to feel guilt over. But I do want us to be aware that, that it, it is in the, this climate of, of seeing darkness that our belief strengthens. And we realize that we are in wartime. Jesus will actually talk about this at the end of the passage, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back in at some point here, I promise. When we realize, but when we realize that we're in wartime, what do we do, right? In World War II, if you had like scrap metal or even some precious metal, you threw it onto the pile because you were in war and it was needed for the war. Like wh- what do we have that can be thrown on the, that our time, our money, our, our talents? Like what do we have that can be thrown onto that pile? We are in war. And I just want to say, like, it's great to read about the feast, but we need to understand that this feast is set amidst a cosmic war. So I've long known that the day would come when I would tell this story before an audience. And um, thank you, Isaac, for the bird heads and the demons and the vomit. I appreciate that story. Um, I have a testament to add to the pile, and so here we go. So I wasn't living right at college. I, I built up these complexes in high school about like who I was, who liked me, who didn't like me. Like I spent a lot of time in my own head. And I got to college when like nobody cared anymore. Nobody knew each other. You didn't know each other from middle school and high school. And I had two paths. I had this like this this sort of like Mary Sue girl and her brother who were like, let's go to university. And then I had these people who were like, let's party. And I was like, mm, let's party. <laughs> like 
I didn't even think twice. It, it wasn't a difficult decision for me. And so I went and I entered into this new life in the world. And I was home at winter break and my parents were watching Walker, Texas Ranger, <laughs> Chuck Norris. Um, and my niece starts staring at me. She's like, she can't even walk yet. She's maybe 10 months old and she's, she has these beautiful black disc, these beady, beautiful eyes. And she starts staring at me and she turns her head and it's like out of a movie and she goes and locks in, she locks gaze on me and just for 45 minutes she doesn't blink. And I start to like sink into the couch and I just know that I'm being like unholy and I just sink into the couch and I'm like, Gabrielle, stop. Gabrielle, stop. And my parents like don't turn around and they're just like enjoying some Chuck Norris. And I start to start, I just start crying and I see, sink into the seat and the Lord is convicting me. He's showing me like the purity of this baby and I know that I'm living impure. And it's just, it's convicting me to my core. And I, I go, Mom! And I finally get it out, and she goes, and now I have to explain something to you at this point. I'm, a, I'm not a mama's boy. Like, in the, like a- Amy doesn't have to, like, I'm calling mom. Like, Amy doesn't have to live that life. Like, I probably don't call my mom enough. But, like, I love my mama. My mama loves me. I was her youngest child for 10 years. I'm still her baby boy. And I'm like, mama's going to take me upstairs. She's going to scratch my back, ask me what's wrong. My dad's a super nurturer. He's a great talker. He's going to go upstairs. He's going to say, what's wrong, son? And he's going to sort it all out, and that's going to be the end of it. But my mom, she takes me to the landing of the house, and she goes, it's okay, honey. And I'm like, snot. I'm, I'm going to be honest, like snot and tears running down my face. And she goes, it's okay, honey. Just go upstairs. And she turns and walks away like a Stepford wife. And I'm like, okay. And I go upstairs, and I get on my elbows and my knees, and I can see the carpet. And then it just flashes to black. And I see all these people I love in different sequences. And I see demons just around them. I, I hope if there are any kids, you, can, you might need to like plug their ears, but like any young kids. But I see like demons around these people. And I see some of them oppressed. I see a certain person who's really smooth and cool in my life. And, and this big demon is just whispering and backing up. And he's going off. These, just these horrible demons. I see some, they, they're like making fun of someone I love. And they've got her in this sin that the world a lot of times is saying is great today and they're encouraging it and they're like dancing and they're looking at me and laughing like they've got her oppressed and then I have another person who I really love and they're calling in and out of her ears and their nose and her mouth she's she's not oppressed she's possessed and and she's not like showing it she doesn't show up in her head spins but I know that this woman has never been able to get her life together and that these demons are letting me know like she's ours and then it just becomes too much for me and I'm like I'm like please stop and I it just flashes away, and I end up in a, in, a, in a throne room, and I see these sort of stonish, metalish kings, and they're just all sitting there, and they're really tall and majestic. And then out of the center throne, someone gets up, and I know instantly that it's Jesus. Like, I'm seeing Jesus. And he goes, take the throne. And I go, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I literally meant I'm not ready to be holy and I'm not ready to walk in discipleship. I'm not ready to follow you. But you know what happens next, church? Like, the good news is I, I, like, I gave my life to Christ. And like, since that time, 
No, no, that's not what happened at all. <laughs> what happened the next morning is like, I watched Jerry Springer and I was like, that didn't happen. Jerry Springer was like a big thing in 1998, so I'm dating myself. Like I watched Jerry Springer and like, I was like, that didn't happen, you know, like, cause I knew the implication is that I'd have to give up the life, this new life that I had in the world. And I was like, I'm not ready. It wasn't until a few handful of years ago, like I was still, I was in New York City and I was like falling asleep at my, Bible. I was falling asleep in the back of the church. Like, so like you're hearing a man who the Lord was so gracious with for 20 years because it wasn't until a handful of years ago that despite being a bearer of this beautiful image from Christ, I, I began even hearing this knock and I seeing the door and going, should I walk through this? It was at downtown hope that I began to grow. And the biggest growth came when I was out a lot at Newtown and I was putting others before myself. I used to tell of that vision as some sort of device so people would think I was special. The king of kings uh, told me to sit on the throne, you know. Um, <laughs> but the, th- the thing is, I got this vision in part so I would tell it on June 6, 2021, to you, disciple of Jesus Christ. He is real. His spirit is available to us in whatever we endeavor, and he will return. And so as we, again, I'll get to it, and as we enter back into the feast, you have to understand, like, this, the same spirit of Christ this is like, this feast might as well be happening today. And yet, I know all this, and, and, and I find it hard to serve. And the good news is I'm starting to figure out the answer, and I want to continue to talk about the cost of discipleship, and then I'll close with this answer, like I'm starting to figure out discipleship. In verse 25, so we're going to go to f- verse 14, 25, or chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so what does Jesus mean to hate our own lives? Like I read the second commandment earlier and it says to love others as we love ourselves. And so he can't mean to hate our our lives, right? The, The Greek used here is pronounced shuke. And when compared against the uses of another Greek word, pneumatikos, it means like the animal instincts of life. Like the more, the things you shattered in that box, like that's what Jesus means to hate. The things that really speak to the animal fleshlier aspect of lives where like an animal, you see something, you go devour it. You, you get it and you don't think twice about it. He's like, that needs to die. And so back to verse 26, of course Jesus does not mean hate your own mother and father, right? We're told to honor them so it may go well with us. So what is he saying here in verse 26? When he talks about your mother and father and goes on to talk about your wife or your husband or your children, he's talking about your comparative love for them when you wait on the scales of your love for him. And he wants us to love these people, but so often that love gets in the way and it causes us to make excuses well I have to you know my son was just in the hospital for 30 days and I started to think of all these excuses maybe this is time to put you know focus on business in my son and 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 we start to when we have these things that we love more than Jesus it really starts to test our hearts these like my son is a good thing Jesus gave me it's not an excuse to shut down discipleship the Lord challenged me time after time in writing this sermon and a few days ago, my mom, who I told you about, my mama, um, she's been struggling, and she, she got a, a foot amputation not too long ago during a really hard time in my life. And um, 
she just got word that a bone infection in her leg is not healing, and so she might have to get more procedures on this leg. She's just looking forward to her prosthetic, hoping not to have more of her leg taken. She had over 100 procedures on her leg, and she understandably struggles. And sometimes I just want to drop infusing my work with discipleship. So the Lord's like showing me your work, like you have to infuse it with discipleship. And I want to stop sometimes being an elder, and I want to stop going over to Woodside. But like that little girl, she needs me to care about her and to love her as myself. And she needs me to put her on somewhere on these scales with my mother and my son, right? And so um, like th- this passage that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about like hating your own family, he's talking about, he's, he's asking you, he's using that as a clarifying question, how much do you love him? Most of you were in this body when we lost an incredible leader and dear brother, Jason. And Sarah had some things in that thick glass box and Jason when he was taken up to heaven. Just in December. She probably had material things like vacations and I know them both well so they had like these noble things like a desire to challenge each other to grow in the Lord and to grow in discipleship. I, had, I was with Jason the last Friday night on earth at a dinner, and we were talking about like, living life together in discipleship. So they had beautiful things in that box. But a hammer smashes into my box, and, and I can't stop it. I can't protect that good and noble thing. And a hammer smashes into Sarah's box. She can't stop it. She, she couldn't protect her good and noble Jason, and she can't love him more than she loves Jesus. And Debbie Bell, she loses her beautiful son, Connor, in the most tragic circumstance, but she goes and she disciples other people in her grief. She can't shut down. She won't shut down. A hammer's going to come. Like, you have to smash the material thing and smash that affection, but a hammer might even come for the good things. There's a picture that I think we might be able to get up um, from a couple of Sundays ago. It's a really abstract picture. There's like but I promise you, under that tree far away, I, like I didn't want to worry about rights management and like getting releases from kids, but under that tree, all the way over there, Sarah's sitting there. And she's nurturing other little kids. It's not like, well, I just get, I'm in, I'm in widow mode for like ever, infinitely. She goes and nurtures other kids and she says, for the first time in a long time, it felt like I was home. She's there with the spirit of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if Newtown is her mission field, but I know where Sarah's affections lie. And I can never put pressure on her, right? Like her journey and your all's journey is between you and the Lord. But I know this, like Sarah meditated so much on Jesus and clearly decided to disciple so much. So that, that conversation that we had on f- that last Friday night on Jason's, uh, of Jason's life, like we talked about discipleship. And I know that Sarah has counted the cost and it has been apparent since she lost the noble thing which she held so dear. She faced her Acts 17 reality, right? Like Jesus knew the time and bounds of Jason's habitation, but she didn't shut down. And like, we can't shut down for any reason. Have to press in. Verse 28 continues. Chapter 14, verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Like this enemy is vicious and we're not promised protection. So Jesus here is like, he's like, 
do, do you have the humility to enter the feet? First of all, he's like, you know, here, here's your heart and the Pharisee's heart. Like, understand the sin in your heart. Understand the desire towards selfishness. Understand, um, you, you know, that y- you need to practice humility. And now he's getting into, like, the real cost of discipleship, right? So I'm going to go back to that, that point that I mentioned about the enemy being vicious. He, he's the king of darkness, the prince of this world, and he fights dirty, right? He'll hit hard. Jesus does not kill, steal, or destroy, and so we have clues to, like, who does that, right? Satan does. Can't stop the war against my mom, and Sarah couldn't stop the war against Jason, and even when he loved good and noble things more than Jesus, right, it shows that lack of trust. And even if we don't cling to the material things, sometimes those things that we love more than Jesus will, when it comes time and when it really gets down to the chalks and when Satan comes and he challenges us, right, like, we're going to cling to those things as an excuse. And so the, here Jesus is saying, like, you better count the cost before you do this because I'm just going to be honest, like, it might put a target on your back. And I go way back up to the, like, right, like, he talks about an eternal reward for those of us who go target on my back, got it. But he's also very sober-mindedly saying, like, you have to count the cost ahead of time. Our faith is not one of compulsion, though, right? God loves cheerful givers who do not grumble. And Ecclesiastes has also been a really awesome book for me because it's kind of like, in a very Jewish way, it's like, eh, like, go serve, don't serve. Like, it, it's kind of like, it's up to you. It's like wine to make the heart glad. It's a crazy book. It's, it's, ch- it's really challenging, like, our teetering heart. And so, like, I, I, when you read the whole of Scripture, like, Jesus, he's not going to force you. He's not going to, like, stand up from a throne and then say, like, oh, you're watching Jerry Springer? Like, get, get out there. Like, right? He's not going to force you to do anything. We all have our different walks. He shows up in different ways to all of us. But, like, you should definitely take rest and enjoyment in your life. Like, I'm not encouraging some sort of penance. There are, like, different weird like, faiths that, like, cause you to whip your back. I'm not encouraging, like, you to make yourself suffer. That's not natural. You should enjoy life, right? But you should also hold very loosely these things that you want to possess. Like, count the cost, Right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against darkness, sisters and brothers. And so I'm going to continue in verse 32. He's already talked about the, the king. And now he's talking about sort of when you go to war against this king. In verse 32, he continues. And if not, if you haven't counted the cost, when this king comes with 20,000 against your 10,000, and he's a great way off, he sends a delegate. Like, you're going to send a delegation. You're going to ask for terms of peace. And, and so you're going, to bar- you're going to bargain. You're going to go like, I'm out, like, if if the war is is too much for you. I almost thought about not discipling, like I told you earlier, when my son was in the hospital and then with my mom. Sometimes it becomes too much, but, you know, maybe I can just do business and be a disciple in business. That's just a lie from the enemy, right? It's what the opposing king wants me to think here. My kids need me. Lie from the enemy. It's what the opposing king wants me to think. My, My wife, she needs me lie from the enemy. This is what the opposing king wants me to think. They do need me in some sense, but the invitation to the feast, to the wedding is still here, and and the Lord is is not going to accept excuses if you want to feast. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says it like this. He says, says like, I I wish that you didn't have a wife. Like, I wish you just wanted to be a disciple, but you're probably going to want a wife. If you do have a wife, 
be as though you didn't have a wife. He means like your marriage is now a disciple. Congratulations, you have like that to worry about and, and you, you still have to be a disciple, right? That's so, as Paul continues building the church, he's got those words of Jesus of accounting the cost and not making excuses still on the tips of his tongue. And so Jesus continues from verse 32 to verse 33 and he says, so therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And again, that's going to be like, you just have to be open to it. You've got to shatter that thing in your glass box, and you have to know that, that uh, the other, the no good and noble things in your glass box, you can't protect either. And here's the great news, though. When we walk in step with the Spirit of Christ, we can renounce trying to control these things, the material and the noble, knowing that Jesus will take care of everything. Like, he regards the sparrow, and so he's going to regard us in this war. If you're here, you've probably seen and tasted that the Lord is good. And if you have doubts, hopefully my account and Isaac's account and, and other accounts will help wipe away any unbelief that we are in a shroud of darkness and deception and that we're in a war. Jesus closes with this, and so I'm going to close with the scripture, and then I'm going to leave us with some hope. He says, salt without taste is worthless. In verse 34, he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. And Lord Jesus, let me hear. Right. My family at Downtown Hope, I want you to think about the things that you hold. And I want you to think about Luke 14 and this invitation. And obviously, like, go back to this, this chapter this week and see what the Lord is opening up to you. I want you to think about Acts 17 and the people that the Lord God has set in the time and bounds of their habitation. And understand that there are people in nursing homes, prisons, low-income communities, and that there are oppressed people waiting for you to play your part. And God desires that you should go address them, and then he'll accept your sacrifices. Like, that's what the Father says, right? And so the really good news here, I promise some good news, is that I love John 17 when Jesus prays this prayer. He says, I, I pray that I would be in you, Father, and you and me, and this is the most, one of the most mind-blowing parts of Scripture for me, and then he prays that, we, that they would be in each other, meaning his disciples then, and that they would be in us. And just this crazy idea of, of us enrobed in the Holy Spirit with the Father and with the Son. And that just blows my mind. And the other thing that blows my mind is, is he says, and not only them, talking about the disciples back, back then, like 3380, he's like in 2021, those who believe in their word too, that they would be in us. So we have this incredible access to the Godhead if we step out and accept this invitation to the feast. He sends in twos, right? In, in Acts, he, Peter steps forward with the others and with the Spirit of Christ. And, and, and nowhere do we see discipling alone. Like I challenge you to find a picture. He sends them out in twos. And if we had gone out and like preached down the street, we would have gone out in twos, presumably, but everybody was like, um, it took me 15 years of humble bragging to realize that that vision I told you, you earlier, he, he was not inviting me, Todd, onto the throne. Like, I would use it sometimes when I was, like, dating a Christian girl. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what this means. I'm probably, probably you can infer what you want. <laughs> and, that, and at 35, Jesus was like, gotcha. Because the scripture, greater things than I will do, also ye shall do. I was instantly, when I heard that at 35, went, 
that's what you're talking about. You're talking about all of us. He's talking about like you and you and you and you. Like we all have access to the throne through his Holy Spirit. He wasn't talking about just Todd. He was like, dude, go deliver this June 6th. And like, so I've had some fun with that, with like my humility up until age 35. Sparked by faith together, we can go out, right? Does not happen alone. In Newtown, there's so many times where I would go out there, like I gave this great speech once, and I was like, everybody's coming, and like I took this case of water out, and like nobody came, and I was like, it was like 92 degrees. <laughs> and I almost quit Newtown, but then Patty showed up, and she's a great communicator. She started communicating, and then other people started to show up. Half the Navy football team showed up. Different people showed up, and it was amazing, and it was only together. Like I have zero credit for Newtown. I promise you I would have quit Newtown without other people coming along. Like 100% would have quit Newtown without other people coming alongside me. So I, I don't even wear that as a badge of honor. I, w- I wear it as a badge of, of brother and sisterhood. So I, w- I want to really talk about, so I know this is going kind of here, and I had this English professor who was like, he was this, this really famous English professor, and, or history professor, sorry, and he was like, um, there were two A's in the class, and one A was straightforward, one A I almost gave an F, and I was like, that's my paper, and he's like, it's this guy. So, so we, we, we go around and around a little bit, but I promise, we're, I hope, one, that this is, this is helping you, but um, two, um, I'm going to get back into the darkness a little bit, because in, in this warfare we feel, in the spirit, and all these things that, these supernatural that we often don't feel. Like in Newtown, it's when I've turned to someone and I've said, like, do you feel that? And it was, it was Rob Curry, and he looks at me and he goes, yeah, and I was like, that's the Holy Spirit, like two people. It's, it's with my work in Newtown that I, that I envisioned, like, how can this place be different? And, and West Lyons was sitting on a printout and he said, Todd, I was praying and I saw demons, and I was like, on the roof? And he's like, yes. And then I told a kid that, a witness to a kid with that Newtown, and he jumped back and he said, my aunt saw demons on the roof. Like, th- there's a darkness here, and I, and I want to, like, we will not accept this invitation unless we understand the darkness. And, of course, we're not supposed to fear it, right? I understand the darkness, and I still feel the resistance towards the feast. Towards the feast. But he still has this invitation, and it's both daily and lifelong. And we have to run the race and accept it with endurance. Like, it's going to be an everyday thing. And that's why one of the, the biggest things that I've practiced that's helped has been, like, just laying on my face and praying his attributes A through Z. And so I want to ask you, like, to take that body form that I talked about earlier today next to the box and, like, what are the things that you need to fill in to just start towards discipleship? Like, it's probably not going to be Damascus Road. Like, you're not, probably not just going to be picked up and dropped right into it. Like, is it hands that pray? Is it a heart that sort of lets go of some of the, the plans that you had? Is it a heart that, like, if you have four vacations planned, is it two now? Because you're going to spend some of that time that you would have taken off work, like in Newtown. I, I don't know what it is, but, like, think of that body form and just start. To, is it feet that just go and obey? I don't know what that is for you, and I, and I couldn't say. And Paul says, like, have grace, because, like, nobody knows what the Spirit of Christ is doing in someone else's life. And when you start to, like, go, like, well, what is he or she doing? It's like, Peter, it's like, you follow me, right? Like, th- there's no judgment, but, but I do think that we all need to start asking the, the question, what am I missing in this walk towards discipleship and this invitation to the feast? And I ask, in this next season, can downtown hope be a radical discipleship roundtable, right? I've seen the seeds, and will a tree spring up here? Just asking the Lord that question. This is going to get a little crazy here. I hope so. 
Well, I'm not going to ask you to go out to Miss Shirley's or down Main Street proclaiming the good news, like, yet, right? Like, what are we not willing to do? Like, start asking yourself that. How am I building myself up as a disciple? And I do have one specific request this morning, like one concrete thing that an, an elder doesn't mean anything special. It just means that we're like chief servants. We just get to wash your all's feet. doesn't mean anything else than that, right? I'm going to ask four times this summer on Friday nights, I'm going to watch this certain documentary with you all, and I'm not going to tell you the name because I don't want people watching it ahead of time. <laughs> and I'm gonna, we're going to host a prayer night here, four Friday nights this summer. And I, I want you all, and nobody has to raise hands, I'm not going to do anything like that, but like, would you commit to when you hear announcements that, of that prayer night, like, will you be there? So we're going to start fall, uh, creating this environment of discipleship here at Downtown Hope. We're hearing like incredible things from the Holy Spirit. And so I want to ask that, that, that concrete, like, I want to give you all an invitation. Like, when you hear it, will you say, like, yep, I'm going to come to one of those four things, four, four events. As you go, I just want you to remember that in this feast, you are we. The invitation will be so much sweeter if we accept the invitation together, right? So will you get on your face this summer and beg that the Most High God and our Lord Jesus Christ would awaken the humble and bold spirit that was marred by our first parents' fall, right? Like we have these spirits in us and, and he's, there's an excavation. Like, will you get on your face before the Lord this summer? There's some things that I want you to do in private and, and, and this summer, like whatever that is and whatever he's calling you to, like do those things and then let's come together and do some other things. The world is dark and people need us. And would you commit to saying yes? Would you personally commit to those, those, those disciplines, reading the scripture and making time for the Lord in the morning and, and to those four Friday night prayers. I promise that if we begin to accept this invitation that things will happen and the closeness that we feel to God, if we accept the invitation to this feast, will exceed anything that we can possibly lose in this world. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you sent a very imperfect servant up here to deliver your words. I pray that everyone in this room would open their Bibles to chapter 14 and allow you to preach to them this week and that this just wouldn't be a passing message, Lord, but that you would awaken within us a spirit of discipleship and that downtown hope would be a place of renown and that it would be absolutely biblical what's going to happen in this next season, Lord. Help us accept the invitation to this feast. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.